part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Good morning. How are we? You good? All right. Well, I want to pray as we start this morning. Uh, welcome if this is your first time. I'm going to continue Ricky's prayer here. We've got a, a lot of folks out and about and uh, traveling. And so I uh, just feel I'd feel better if we prayed for him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've got folks from uh, Nashville to South America, some over in Europe. And. Uh, and Lord. Uh, they are family and we recognize their absence and we we ask that you'd be with them, Lord, some of them on vacation, some of them traveling to visit family. And Lord, we just ask that you would this morning that they would uh, they would sense our heart from afar, our heart for them, our love for them, and that they would, uh, Lord, in somehow, some way, be a part of this body even when they're away. Lord, we thank you for for the family that you've created here around this table. And for those you've called to be a part of this body. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to add to the number. Who would trust you as Savior. That more and more in this community would, would see this place as a, as a glimmer of hope. As a lighthouse of the truth. Lord, I pray that uh, the heart of this place would shine bright. Pray that our hearts would be fully yours. Lord, I hope you sense the affections of our heart this morning. For those of us who've gathered here in this place, Lord, we, we, we say that we're yours. And, um, this is not just some additional hour we've tacked on to our week. We long to be with family body of Christ. And we long to be with you, Jesus, our bridegroom and our elder brother and our good friend. And Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for, for residing within us, teaching us your great wisdom, showing us, enlightening us to the, the depths of your love, the depths of the gospel truth. So, Lord, as we take a moment to turn our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, would you would you open it to us and open us to it? So that when we leave this place, Lord, we, we haven't just chalked up another hour at church, Lord. When we leave this place, we would be truly altered, changed and challenged by your love. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for, for being our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Well, we're glad you are here. And if this is your first time, do us a favor. There's a portion of your bulletin that is a, a perforated portion. You can tear it out. Just give us as much information as you want about yourself. I promise we're not going to come visit you during your nap this afternoon. We're not going to send you a bunch of junk mail. We just want to have a record of your visit, be able to pray for you. There's uh, spots on there where you can ask for more information about our church. And we just want to be able to get you that if you want more information about our church. We're glad you're here. Um, this is a family and it is a body, but we hope you feel like family this morning.
We are here because of the glory of God, and that's exactly where we are in the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and we are at the pivot. Literally and figuratively, we're at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of 4, and we are going to make a shift in Paul's teaching. Chapters 1 through 3, no commands, right? Guilt-free Christianity, as I put it in the bulletin. You just came and you just enjoyed. You just sat at the banquet table of God's grace. And Paul just poured out all that God has done for us. And we just enjoyed. You just fed on all that God has done for you. That's the point. Sit and listen. Look at how glorious God is. Look at what he has done for you. Look at how he has shown grace towards you. That's chapters 1 through 3. At the end of chapter 3, he says this in verses 19 and 20. It's sort of a, uh, or 20 and 21, it's sort of a benediction to where he is in the letter. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even think. Because all that he has said about God, it has been God's work in us. It's not been our work with God. He can do all these things according to the power that works within us. Verse 21, now to him and him alone. Be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church. Now we talk about to God be the glory all the time, don't we? But don't miss the fact that Paul's prayer here, before he moves into these final chapters, before he makes this pivot and transition, is that we all understand as a church, as individual parts of the church, that we, that we're to, we're to shoot for, we are to exalt in the glory of God. We were singing just a moment ago, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. It's a, it's a picture of us, the church, raising Christ up. We're elevating him. That's what we do. In Paul's mind, he would put it this way. To him be the glory in the church. That's our job. Our job is to glorify him who's done everything he told us about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So think about it this way. Paul said all this wonderful stuff about him, and then he turns to us, and in a, in a benedictory sort of prayer, he says, now to him be the glory. But in the church, you see the responsibility beginning to turn towards us. And it's just that we have a calling and a responsibility to glorify God. Do you know that? The glory of God should rise in the church. Now, let me explain to you what the word glory means. I don't want to get too deep here in Greek words and all that, but I think this will help you to understand where Paul's going. The word glory in the Greek is the word doxos. And literally, it means opinion, judgment, or one's point of view. And when it's used in Scripture, to glorify God means is that we raise our opinion of Him. Does that make sense? We raise our viewpoint of Him. To glorify God is a way of saying that our judgment of who He is is high and lifted up. That's good, right? That's what it means to glorify God. Paul, what is, what is the goal? The goal in the church is to raise the opinions, the perspectives, the viewpoint of our God, not only in our own hearts and minds, but in all the world. Do you see that as your job, Christian? That as salt and light in this world, your job to glorify God practically means because of all that he's done, Our living out our Christian life should change the opinions of those who watch us. 
and change specifically their opinion, their view, their judgment of who our God is. How do you glorify God? You glorify God by in your life elevating the opinions of men and women about your God. That's what glory means. So he prays out of chapter 3 and then moves into chapter 4. You could put it this way, that chapters 1, 2, and 3, they were a theology of our calling. It was all the nuts and bolts, all, all the, the goodness of the theology behind the thing, of what God did, how he did it for us. And we just, we just feasted on that truth. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's the importance of our conduct. 1, 2, and 3, our calling. 4, 5, and 6. Now, now Christian, how are you going to live? How now should you live based on what God has done? With the goal of us glorifying Him, exalting Him, our goal in the church should be to elevate the opinions of all those who would watch our lives about our God. That's how we glorify Him. How do we do that? Thus the pivot. Because as you, as you finish up chapter 3, you should be saying, okay, exactly how do I do that, Paul? And now he's going to tell us. Chapter 4, he says, okay, here you go. Therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore, it's a transition out of all that he's been saying. How do, I, how do I glorify God? How do I raise the opinions, the judgments, the views of other people who watch my life? How do I do that, Paul? Here's how you do it. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, um, I don't know what your opinion of Paul is, but Paul wants you to know that he's worth listening to. He could have said, uh, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord, right? That would have lended some authority. It's interesting, however, he chooses to call himself not an apostle here, but he chooses to call himself a prisoner of the Lord. Does that do anything for you? I mean, does that do anything for you when somebody who says, I'm going to ask something, something very difficult of you, perhaps, does it do anything when the person who's asking has some credibility? Absolutely. If the person who's asking you to do some hard thing has no credibility, the weight of their request isn't very heavy, is it? Paul carries a lot of weight here. That's the point. And he's not complaining about being a prisoner. He's actually, in fact, in jail. Why is he in jail? He's in jail because of the gospel message that he's spreading around. So very literally, he is a prisoner, but he's not just a prisoner to Rome. He's not just a prisoner to the authorities of the day. He wants you to know that he's a prisoner to his Lord. You see the difference in Paul's estimation of why he's in jail? He's not in jail because something um, unfair has happened to him because the government has turned against him. Paul understands that he's in jail for a greater cause. Paul understands that he's a prisoner of the Lord. And that shapes everything he does. But it should also shape how we respond to his request. It's kind of like this. If, uh, if, you, if you approach uh, the 4th of July and uh, you see guys out waving their flags and you know, our country is, is high on patriotism, uh, it's one thing for someone, uh, a common American, to encourage you to be patriotic around these holidays that celebrate our country. It's another thing for you to see a man or a woman who has served their country and is uh, even more than that, serve their country in dangerous places, and even more than that, serve their pl- uh, country in dangerous places and paid a, a painful price, right? Uh, I've become more and more aware of this Wounded Warriors Project. You've seen these guys? You've seen this? A uh, lot of great work being done with these men. How about one of these guys coming to you and asking you to up your patriotism? Would that do something for you? Absolutely. That guy's credibility says something that maybe yours or mine does not. 
Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. What should that do in our hearts? This guy's not, he's not faking it. He's paying a price. He's paying a price. You want to ask me to do something, Paul? Okay. I'll, I'll buy into this. See, our view of Paul impacts how we're going to respond here. I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you. Could be, could be said, just like it is in Romans 12.1, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. Another way to put it, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. How do you respond to someone who's paid a price like Paul has paid? Gone through all that he's gone through for the sake of the gospel? How do you respond when he turns to you and said, listen, I'm begging you. Um, it doesn't really matter what he asks after this. You're kind of on the hook to do it, aren't you? That's where you should be. Coming out of these three chapters elevates our God. Look at all your God has done. Look at all that he's done. You know what our job is, church? Our job is to doxa him. It's to glorify him. It's to elevate the view of him in this world. And so I'm begging you. And it's not just anybody who's begging you. I'm, I'm paying the price right here, right now. I'm doing it myself. Now, what does he ask of us? Here's what he asks. Prisoner of the Lord, implore you, beg you to walk. To walk, not just in any old way, but to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, to walk very simply means to live. It means to live out your life. There is a slight play on words here. Following Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle would have his people not just sit and learn of him, but he would have his folks follow him. You walk with me. Paul chooses this word and he plays off of it and he says, I'll show you how to walk. You want a you uh, theory for life? You want to know how to walk in life? Here's how you walk. You walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What is our calling? Our calling is everything he already taught us in chapters 1 through 3. And he says, make sure that it, it matches. That word worthy, and this is really the crux of the message today. Uh, I had originally was going to bring us all the way through verse 16, but this one word worthy here uh, in, uh, in the initial verses just captured my mind, and uh, I backed up and I said, let's just, do, let's just do the first couple of verses. When in fact, the rest of the book hinges probably on this one verse. It is the access verse. It's the pivot verse. It's where everything swings. From our calling to our conduct. Paul, what do you want from me? How do, I, how do I glorify God? How do I elevate the opinions of men? He says, you do it in your walk. That's it. What do you mean? Well, you do it in your everyday, eating, sleeping, drinking, going, coming, working, living, teaching, parenting, being a neighbor, being a friend. You do it as you go. So it's not any specific thing necessarily. It's not any great calling to this job. No. As you go. I want you to walk, but he doesn't stop there. I want you to walk in a certain way. I want you to walk in a way that is worthy. Here's the word worthy. It is literally the word axios. We get several words from this word. All right. And here's, here's the cool part. The word uh, axios means axis. 
The axis of this earth is what? It's that imaginary line that goes through the center of our earth that we spin on. It is that center cog in the wheel, so to speak. You have two wheels. In order to get those wheels to spin on the same axis, you put what? You put an axle between them, right? And the wheels spin on that axle. That's the word here for worthy. I call you to walk in a way that is worthy, axis. If you want to split a log, what do you do? You get an axe and you split the log into two halves, into two parts. Our life, our walk, our going about in this life, it should have an axis. It should have a center with two equal halves. It's like Paul says this, uh, all this theology that I've been telling you, all this stuff that I've been telling you about God, it's just one half. The other half needs to be our conduct. So when he says walk in a manner worthy, it's like him saying walk in a manner that, that holds in perfect tension and balance these two things, like, an, like the axis of our earth. It holds in perfect balance. One does not outweigh the other. There's no inconsistency, you might say. It's not unparalleled or unmatched. Our life and our conduct should balance. Amen? How do we walk in a manner worthy? It means to walk in a way that equates our theology and our life. How should I walk? Your walk should match what you know to be true about your God. How do you walk in a way that's worthy? What that means is, is not that you earn through your walk in your living it out what God has done for you. That's not what he means by walk worthy of the calling. It it doesn't heap pressure on us to say, I have to earn what God has done for me in all these one through three chapters. That's not what walk worthy means. What walk worthy means is walk in a way that matches what your God has done. Your life ought to show consistency with what you say to be true about your God. That's how we walk worthy. To say that something is worth its weight in gold, what does that mean? It means that the weight of the thing, if you put it in gold, would be just as precious to you as the gold itself. Does that, does that make sense? It, it's a balance. It equals. So here's the million-dollar question. Does your life jive? Does it equate? Does, does it balance? Is it consistent with what you say you believe about your God? With who you say your God is? Does your life have that equal and opposite reaction? Do you walk in a manner that equates to everything we know about our God? How do we elevate the opinion and the view of our God? How do we glorify Him? Answer, we walk in balance. We pivot our life around the calling with which He has called us. What is that calling? It's a calling of grace. As Paul's explained in the first three chapters. He's called us in grace. Everything about chapters 1 through 3 has been to exalt God's grace. In three chapters, Paul's done nothing but exalt the glorious grace of God. The riches of His glory. The riches of His grace. Look at what God has done. Look at 
Look at what he's done for the Jew. Look at what he's done for the Gentile. Look at, look at what we get. He's exalted him. And now he turns to us and he says, Church, do you realize that your job is to raise, to raise the opinions of the men and women in this world about your God? And the way you do that is that in your everyday coming and going, you're walking about in Christ. Make sure that you do that in a way that equates to the truth of the grace of your God. Now, folks, that, that's, a, that's enough, isn't it? That's enough for us this morning. I mean, do we need to keep going in verse 16? In fact, the rest of the, the letter, I think, unfolds all of that. The rest of the book teaches us how to walk worthy, teaches us how to walk in a way that balances his great love for us and our conduct, our obedience, our righteousness. He teaches us how to walk worthy. He's going to do it with each other. He's going to do it um, in business. He's going to do it in the home. And in the end, he's going to say, here are the tools you need to war in this spiritual battle because it's not going to be easy. This is it. This is, this is the, the access of the book. It's the pivot. But it's the big question for us. Um, the first place Paul goes after challenging us with this shift, he could go anywhere. You know where the first place he goes? And this is a hard word. The first place he goes is into the house. Not your individual house, but into this house. Now I want you to listen. Coming off of that challenge, listen where he starts. Verse 2. If I'm going to walk worthy, my life is going to balance. It's going to equate to all that he's done for me. Where should I start? With all humility, gentleness, patience, Tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent. The word that, that has a picture of full speed ahead. With all diligence, with all the speed you can muster. Don't wait. Don't dilly-dally around. With all diligence. To preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, where do we very quickly go wrong in walking a life that equates to His love for us? It's right here. It's right here. Um, it probably won't take you very long as you as you let the Spirit reveal to you. It probably won't take very long for you to find places in your own heart where there's not been humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another, and love. It probably won't take you very long to search your heart. It probably wouldn't take me very long in searching my heart to find places where I have not been diligent for the peace and to preserve the unity of the Spirit right here. 
But you want to know where we can mess it up the fastest? It's right here. You want to know where we disqualify our God the fastest? It's right here. How do we elevate the opinions of the men and women out there about our God? We start right here. How do we show them that our life equates to what we say we believe, to what our God has actually truly done for us? How do we show them not a hypocrisy, but we show them a consistency to the theology in our conduct? How do we show them that so that our God is elevated in their heart and mind to a place where he's not relegated as some fairy tale? How do we do that? Paul says, let's start right here. Let's start with things like humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another. How about we start with things like love? How about we be diligent? How about we be just, about, just as serious about keeping the peace in here as we are about approaching somebody in their apparent immorality or their lack of spiritual maturity? How about we, we start there? Do you notice that Paul doesn't start here in his challenge about walking worthy, about about Uh, getting people all to some academic level theologically? He doesn't say, call the church of immorality first and foremost. He starts with words, and I don't think it's a mistake, and I I don't mean to say that those things never happen, but he starts right here with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love. But where do we go wrong to start? Right there. Where do we not elevate the opinion of those guys out there about our God, but relegate our God? It's in our relationships right here. It's when we don't have humility with one another. It's when we don't have tolerance towards one another. It's when we, when we don't have patience with one another. It's when we're quick to judge. It's when we're quick to be critical. Is that how family is to be? No, you know that's not how it's supposed to be in your house. Then why should it be in this house? You know, if you visit with a family and that's how they are, do you want to be a part of that family? No, you want to get away from that as soon as you can. You think anybody wants to be a part of this family and the greater family of God when all we're doing is this? When we're not tolerant of one another in any way, when there's no love, when there's no humility towards one another, when there's no patience, when there's no kindness, when there's no joy within the body. Think anybody wants to be a part of that? I don't want to be a part of that. What does that say? What would that say about our God? Scripture gives the guys out there permission and the right to look at you and to look at me and to look at us and to judge our God. How about that? And he gives them the right to do it. Uh, I told you a story maybe a few weeks ago about a neighbor who I've been trying to uh, just hang out with more and build a relationship with. Uh, we've had numerous conversations. We were out on a uh, jog one day and uh, got to talking about spiritual things. And it got to be, you know, it got to be a difficult conversation. Not a, not a debate, but a, just a, we were getting into some hard things. Spiritually. And um, you know where he went to get out of the conversation? You know where he went? It's where the people you deal with go. It's their ace in the hole. It's their trump card. You know what it is? 
He told me the story about another neighbor who also claims to be a Christian. They don't go to this church. Um, and they had done this to me, he said. And he said, and this happened, and they responded like this. And without skipping a beat, he said, and that's what it's about. I don't want any part of it. And I was done. I was done right there. Um, some of you know I'm uh, now a Navy chaplain, and uh, I was... I needed to get some paperwork from um, from Uncle Sam, and uh, so powers that be sent a uh, sent an enlisted guy up, so I wouldn't have to go down to the office. They sent a guy up to me to deliver some papers. It was a petty officer, and in the enlisted ranks, a petty officer is about halfway up, and he was he was a second class petty officer, so he wasn't the lowest petty officer, but he was he was up there a little bit. He had done uh, a couple tours on an aircraft carrier, and uh, I met him to get these papers and. Um, he he sat down with me. I didn't expect him to sit down. I met him at a at a restaurant um, down in Duluth, and uh, he sat down with me and he wanted to talk. And so he said, "Chappie, you know how are you how are you doing?" And we just started talking. And um, and so I thought, well, he, you know, here's an opportunity to see where this sailor's at. And so uh, I said, you know, have you had have you had much experience with uh, uh, Christianity or with the Lord? Where where are you at with the Lord? And he started giving me the story of how he really wasn't all that religious or spiritual, kind of grew up that way, but not really so much anymore. And it's a hard place to be spiritual in the military and that whole deal. And, and so great. That's, we were talking it through. And, and then I asked him another question. I said, Hey, what's your experience been with, with guys like me, with other chaplains? And he just kind of chuckled and he, and he hesitated. And he said, well, Lieutenant, let me, uh, you know, I have to be honest. And he was being cautious here with a superior officer. And I, I thought that was a little funny. Uh, he was being cautious and trying to be, uh, trying to be uh, ca- politically correct, maybe in the way he, he said this, but he had no respect. In his experience, here's what he said. He said, on the ship I was on last, he said, uh, the chaplain was the guy out smoking the most cigarettes and doing the most cussing out on the flight deck anytime there was a break and I went out there. And I was done. <laughs> I was done. Any consistency there? Any balance around the axis? Does that equal our God? No, it doesn't. And what happens when the weight of this nonsense starts to gather? The view of our God slips. And they have the right to do that. So, are we walking in a manner that is worthy? And the first place Paul wants us to look when we ask that hard question is right here. How's your humility? How's your gentleness? How's your patience? How's your tolerance? How's your love? Are you being diligent about those things right here in this body, right here in this family? And don't give in to the temptation right here in any of these sort of messages. Our, our, our temptation is always to get him, get him, pastor. Man, that guy over there, he needs this one. Woo! And you're already thinking about the guy who's not here today. They're, you know, on vacation maybe. I wish he was here. I hope somebody slips him that CD when he gets back. No. Oh. 
That, that's the wrong direction, man. Can I tell you, I, I want to be a part of a body where we, we go overboard in asking for forgiveness, in granting forgiveness. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of kindness and tolerance. Can we do that? Can we err on the side of being diligent towards humility? Can we err on the side of even if we think we're more right than the other person's more right, can we just go ahead and apologize and be the one that's wrong? Do you, do you know, uh, I was having this conversation with somebody who does some counseling and things this past week, and we were talking about n- not really techniques of counseling. Uh, it was more so relationship dynamics. Do you realize what happens between two people when someone who even when they're wrong is willing to humble themselves and say, man, I'm sorry. Do you know what happens in the heart of the other person? Walls come down. You know what happens in the heart of another person when even if you think you're right and they're wrong, if you stand and you bolster your position, you know what happens in the heart of that other person? Let me, let me really start meddling. You know what happens in the heart of your spouse, your wives, husbands, your husband's wives, right? You know what happens? Walls go up. But you know what happens when even if you think you're right, you take the position of humility and patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness? You know what happens, especially when you're diligent towards those things? Walls come down. And amazingly, you know, they start to see things maybe the way you see things. And they're willing to give because you're willing to give. But if you want to be one of those guys who stands your ground because you're right, I don't think we're going to find that to be a place of, of joy, kindness, grace, mercy. I don't think that's the kind of place that the, the folks out there are looking for. Do you? I don't want to be a part of that place. Why would they? And I know our God better than that, but even still, when the life of the believer doesn't equal to it, it taints what I think about my God. You know that? That's just the truth. I have to, I have to remind myself, you know what? Just because the body's acting like this doesn't mean that that's my God. And I know my God. How much more the people who do not know Him as a gracious Savior do you think it affects their doxa of Him? Their opinion, their view, their judgment of Him. Is it high? It's not high. He becomes a fairy tale. He becomes unneeded and unnecessary because He is ineffectual. He makes no difference, apparently. And when He makes no difference, I don't want a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we want to be worth our weight. We want to be worth our weight. I'm reminded of Matthew 12 where the crowds had gathered and they came to you and they said that your mother and your brothers are standing outside and and they want to speak to you. And your reply was, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And you pointed to your disciples and you said, here they are. These are my, my mother and my brothers. The ones who do the will of the Father who is in heaven, those are my brothers and sisters. That is my mother. In other words, Lord, you wanted us to know that your true family are the ones who are obedient in our conduct. 
our life lines up with our theology. We find the the middle place to walk. We find the place of consistency and balance. And Lord, um, we didn't have to go very far into these final chapters to be challenged, right to the heart. And I ask for grace that you would allow the men and women who are in this room to look nowhere beyond their their own lives. Our temptation right here, right now, as we wrap up this morning, is to is to be thinking about the other person. Lord, could we only could we only focus within this morning? Could we ask ourselves about humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance? Could we check our own hearts about love? Lord, show us the places where we're not being not just obedient, but we're not being diligent to preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Make us diligent towards these things. Lord, our goal is simple. is to elevate the opinion of our Savior in the hearts and the minds of those who live around us, who walk next to us. Might our walk be worthy of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, I was talking with a buddy last week. And uh, he's a pastor as well. And we were talking about preaching. We were talking about teaching. And he said, you know, he said that the hard thing about preaching and teaching, he said the difficult thing is, is that they're very rarely on a Sunday morning before we can leave. There very rarely is this pivot point. There very rarely is this place where we, where we stop and ask our people to make a shift, to make a turn before they go out. And I thought about that, and I remembered growing up, uh, I got saved in high school. My pastor growing up would very often say, before we leave, before you escape this morning, before you escape the calling, the whispering of the Holy Spirit that is more evident in this place than when you get out to the parking lot, and then you get to El Centinella, and then you get home, and then you get into bed and take your nap, and then you get back to being busy and doing life. Before you escape to all that, would you just stop and just, just let God say what he wants to say to you? So I'm not going to ask you to sing. I'm I'm not going to ask you to even stand. I'm just going to beg you, as Paul would, to just be bold enough, courageous enough to ask the question, God, where am I not walking worthy of your calling? Where does my life not match your grace? And let 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 me press you even further. My pastor growing up, he'd say, you might need to walk across the room and grab somebody and say, I'm sorry. Has anybody got that kind of courage in them anymore? I don't know that we do. Maybe you got to go get somebody that's back there and say, come on up here and pray with me. Anybody got those kind of guts? I don't know that we do anymore. But I'll not stop short of that challenge this morning. Okay? I'll not stop short of giving you the opportunity to make a move towards consistency, to make a move towards balance in your walk, and in your wealth, God's grace. Amen. So Ricky, why don't you play for us? And we're just going to talk to God.
you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.